Hi, and welcome to Season 3 of Emetophobia Help. I'm your host, Anna Christie, licensed therapist, author, and recovered emetophobic. Trigger warning for these podcasts will be words and sometimes a story, but I try to make sure they're not too gross. For you therapists who are listening, Dr. David Russ, child psychologist, and I have a new resource website for you at emetophobia.net, and there are self-help instructions there as well if you're looking for exposure resources. Um, people with emetophobia, I have a new Facebook group that I made called Emetophobia No Panic, which has very strict rules and is more about sharing success therapy information, and so on, more so than the other groups. If you're enjoying this podcast or you find it helpful, you can buy me a coffee for a couple of bucks or a couple of pounds. Just scroll down in the notes to see the link. everybody. I'm here today with Anna from Calgary, Alberta, Canada, which is my country as well, just my province neighbor to the east, immediate east. Hi, Anna. Hi, Anna. How are you today? <laughs> great, great. Great name, by the way. Excellent. Yes, you too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not too many people my age have this name, but it's more popular now. You're young and and um, it, it suits you really nice. So um, let's start out with having you tell your emetophobia story from ah. as far back as you like. Sure. So um, sort of what uh, in the process of working through emotions and working through my past trauma and everything like that, um, it sort of narrows back down to a couple of incidences when I was a little girl. Um, I had a couple of times when I was sick, um, maybe age six, and then again at age 10, when my father was the one that was happened to be at home that day. My mom was usually my caretaker in situations like that. Mm. And mm. I think just the way he reacted uh, both of those times was very, very impactful. Um, and that sort of started this course of um, having this deep fear of vomiting. So... I have to ask, how did, how on earth did he react that was so impactful? <laughs> so I think the first time um, he was, I had been sick several times already, but I'd, I'd waited upstairs for him. And when he came up to go to bed, I went into the washroom while he was brushing his teeth. And I did say to him, I'm, I'm sick. And he said, no, you're not go back to bed. So I spent the rest of the night um, throwing up by myself. Um, my mom was actually, she was in hospital with my little brother who was having an operation. Oh, man. So that was a bit tough. Didn't quite got, get what I needed there. Right. And then the second time I was feeling sick and my brother was became aware of the fact that I wasn't feeling well. And I begged him not to tell my dad because... I didn't think my dad could handle it, huh. but my brother, <laughs> my brother went and got my dad. Mm -hmm. And when my dad came upstairs and he saw the, the vomit on the floor and mm. everything, he just gave me this look of, I don't know, sheer disgust, oh. or at least that's how I perceived it. Right. 
And I just def I just didn't feel like I got any comfort from him. I wasn't told, oh, like I'm gonna wrap you up, we'll get you cleaned up, we'll get you put in bed, um, it'll all be okay. I, I just didn't get any of that. Um and so I think I made some sort of probably subconscious decision that I was never going to be out of control again. And I was certainly never going to let anybody see me be disgusting again. Wow. Yeah. So I I think that's where that stems from for me. Yeah, I would think so, for sure. Um, Yeah. I'm really, I mean, you were only six the first time. That's so small. You know, that's so little, just in grade one if you even yeah. were yet, you know, and, mm-hmm. um, and, and probably, yeah, you, oh, was your dad normally like, uh, kind of a gruff <laughs> person like that? Or was this out well, of character for him? Or? No, I definitely got most of my parenting and nurturing done by my mom, right. uh, especially if there, if it was around sickness or any sort of you know, thing that could be perceived by him as neediness. I was definitely getting that from my mom. And my dad is an older gentleman. He was born before World War II um, in England. And I think, you know, for his life experience, there would have been very little nurturing and caretaking by his parents. Right. Yeah. 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 That makes a difference. You know, some of that stiff upper lip British thing. I think that's not so much a thing in the UK anymore. Maybe it is for some of our people listening, um, but, but probably of older generations. You know, I just think when you saw King Charles there shedding a tear when, or tearing up when his mother's uh, coffin casket went down finally into the, you know, I'm like, okay, that's the end of that then. (laughs) That's the end of that British stiff upper lip. Um, Good for him. You know, Uh, it it was a a very touching moment, but, um, and certainly many, um, at least Canadians, uh, I don't know about Americans, they rejected all things British in 1776. So maybe they're a little farther ahead than we are. (laughs) But uh, I I know that was a thing definitely with boys. um, Growing up in Canada, like boys don't cry and boys have to be strong. And um, there was all of that. But um, I mean, yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't even born till, you know, almost 1960. So if you're if your dad was like born in the 1930s. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely a thing. And how, yeah. how much it affects you, right? It, it, oh, it, it I mean, it, it changed the course of my life, if yeah. I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, ever since then, um, I've been working my way around that fear and through that fear and (laughs) trying to navigate life with that. So, yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that, about what it's like for you to have a metaphobia? What's, what's it been like over the years and how bad is it? I think it's um, sort of ebbed and flowed for me. Some years are much better than others. Um, Right now I, I have job, a job, actually I have several jobs. Um, I have lots of friends and I spend time with family. Um, It's just, 
it's intrusive, right? So I, I, if I make plans or I have things to do at work, it just can sometimes really be in, like it just interrupts that and makes it a bit of a bumpier ride than I think for the average person. So I've also had times when I was housebound, um, years where I didn't leave the house because the fear was so strong and I hadn't yet found um, any sort of support with that. Um so it's sort of run the whole gamut. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 Well, good for you that you've, you know, you, you like you say, you have a job or several jobs, um, friends, <laughs> friends, family, social, you know, that's really, that's really great. What, how did you, when you were housebound, um, and I assume, would it be, it was a part of your phobia kind of also a social phobia in the sense that you didn't want to throw up in front of other people? So you didn't want to go out of the house or was it more germ oriented? Um, I would say less germ oriented and more concerned that if I was sick, if, if it, you know, the yeah. worst thing happened and I was actually going to throw up that it would be in front of other people. Right. Yeah. When I'm yeah. anxious at home about vomiting, that's unpleasant and I don't like it. But if I'm around other people, it's exponentially worse for me. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And that so. is so true with almost everyone. You know, a lot of um, emetophobia gets misdiagnosed as social phobia. Um, Mm -hmm. And if we have therapists who listen to the podcast, and that's one of the things that we talk about in our book, we have a whole chapter on just on misdiagnosing emetophobia, a whole chapter, if you can believe that. Um, and, And social phobia is one of the things. And but if if people if um, clinicians really questioned their patients enough, they would come to realize, oh, it's really only that they're afraid they'll vomit in front of other people. It's not that they're afraid of being judged by other people in any other way, you know, necessarily, right. necessarily. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, that's. I think that's the predominant fear in being around other people. Right, right. And how did you get out of the house then? you're not you're not you're out of the house now I assume so yeah yeah um how did I get out of the house I okay so I ended up being hospitalized for anorexia oh god and um I was very very ill um with that and had to go to hospital so that was one of the most difficult experiences of my life wow because Yes, I'm at the mercy of whatever's going on around me. I had yeah. very, very little control over my life at that point. And how and, can I just ask a couple questions about that? Yeah, how old? Yeah. How old were you? When yeah, you, so I was hospital? admitted to hospital when I was 21. Okay, so yeah, so against your will, or well. I was told that my will was going to be taken if I didn't admit okay. myself in yeah. the next few days. Okay. So, yeah. So I was like, well, I'm not going to be taken away in an ambulance strapped down to a gurney. So right. I'm going to admit okay. myself. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And that's a thing. I don't know if it's true in America, but in certainly in Canada, we have something called the Canadian Mental Health Act. 
And Mm -hmm. if it seems as though a person is um, mentally ill to the point that they're bringing harm to themselves or someone else, um, then the RCMP, the police can come and um, yeah. haul you away to to a hospital for examination. Um, probably Americans are like freaking out. Now see all you people that, <laughs> all you people that wanted to come to Canada for our free health care, but we can yeah. lock you up. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, anorexia nervosa would be, would meet the criteria of bringing harm to yourself. Um, yeah. Did you actually have anorexia nervosa or were you just afraid to eat because of emetophobia? Uh, well, I feel like I have a dual okay. uh, dual anorexia. So I have anorexia for both reasons. I had uh-huh. anorexia for the fear of getting fat, and I had anorexia okay. for the fear of vomiting. Oh wow! Um, yeah. Which right. was very very difficult for the for the physicians and nurses yeah. in that program. They had never dealt with those sort of comorbidities right. and certainly not to the extent that I was experiencing them. Um, so I was, I was actually declining in hospital and yeah, I said wow. to my mom, I, I need to come home. And uh, she, she trusted me and allowed me to do that. And, but part of what happened when it was when I got back was that I had to sign a contract with her mm-hmm. to say I was going to participate in therapy. I was going to participate in group support. I was Mm -hmm. going to see a doctor. I was going to be weighed, all kinds of things. And so um, I met a girl in group therapy who had an eating disorder as well, uh, of course. And uh, I saw the way she, she was going about her life. She had a job and she was renting an apartment. And I thought, I want to do that. I Mm want to have that. So mm-hmm. I, I found my way back to a semblance of, of living wow. um, yeah. Good when I you. saw other people around me. Yeah. And the experience of like having to walk out of the house and go to the hospital when you had, um, we call it emetophobia induced agoraphobia. So the fear of going out Um that must have been absolutely terrifying. To A, to leave the house yeah. was awful. Yeah. And, to, yeah. and B, to know where I was going was, right. it, I mean, I can't, I can't tell you how, how hard it was. It, yeah. it was the, probably the darkest moments of my life wow. in that hospital. So, uh, But the amount of courage that it must have taken for you to go to do that like no RCMP had to come and you know what I mean you you did it you did that I did which is absolutely amazing um you look amazing by the way you you look I mean you're thin obviously but you look (laughs) amazing you don't look like you have anorexia nervosa anymore do you feel as though you do um I think with my emetophobia, I always feel precarious in my eating. Well, okay. I shouldn't say always. I should mm-hmm. say when I'm I'm having a tougher time with my emetophobia, um, I yes, I feel more precarious in my eating, and I definitely have to be much more intentional about it sometimes. Right. Right. Yeah. Yes. And is that difficult? Like, do you still have visions of yourself being fat? So, is it, like, is it difficult to eat for that reason, or is it? really the emetophobia that controls you 
more these days, it's controlled uh, by a metaphobic thinking. Okay. Um, but I still, I still, you know, have body image um, okay. issues that I deal mm-hmm. with, and uh, yeah, I. But I think the uh, the fear of vomiting at this point is is a stronger concern for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. Well, that's good. Actually, people might be surprised that I just said that. But to be honest, emetophobia is much more treatable with much better success than uh, any eating disorder like anorexia nervosa. Um, Anorexia nervosa, if it's severe enough, and it goes on a continuum, of course, um, if it's severe enough, there are poor outcomes statistically. Um, So it's... it's, uh good for it's you. a very fatal illness yeah it, it yeah. can be it and it yeah. can be just torture your entire life you know even if you if you don't die from it you yeah. you're just tortured like constantly forcing yourself to eat and so on but um good for you on all fronts for can you know for what you've been able to do and what i haven't asked you Thank about you. is have you had therapy, treatment for your emetophobia? And if so, what does that look like? Has it looked like? <laughs> well, I've had, yeah, I've had lots of different um, therapists that I've gone to. Um, I've been, I've seen psychiatrists, psychologists, registered therapists and social workers, uh, you know, quite an array of people. Um, and I've had definitely mixed experiences on that. Um, so like, for example, right now I'm working with a woman who's a certified therapist and she takes the approach that exposure therapy is only re- really helpful if it doesn't re-traumatize you in the process. That's so true. we need to be mm-hmm. very intentional and careful about how we do that. Um, I've had experiences in the past where I got dropped in the deep end with the exposure therapy and it was really awful. So what did they, what did they suggest that you do? Because this is important (laughs) for our listeners to hear, I think. Right. So what I experienced was, um, being asked to, in a hospital setting, um, touch the bottom of my shoes and lick my fingers. Oh no, not another shoe licking uh, incident. I had another, yeah. I had another guest that, that was supposed to lick her shoe. Same yeah. thing. Wow. And then okay. handling, handling raw chicken without washing my hands and things like that. Um, so wow. unfortunately okay. what that, what that did for me was uh, sent me back into a tailspin. Spin. Right. Didn't leave the house for three days, drugged myself. Oh, uh, no. You know, so it just yeah. was uh, not very productive. Right. And that's so important for um, patients to hear, but also, of course, more important for therapists who are listening to hear um, that it, I don't know, I, it must work on some people that have OCD with contamination subset. Uh, but I, I, I don't know why they do it. I, I just don't get it. It, it, um, it's certainly there is no evidence, there is no research. There's nothing that would suggest that that helps an emetophobic person. It just makes them worse. Yeah, it just, right. it's more, it's like re-traumatizing. I would not lick my I wouldn't well would right. I touch my shoe and lick my finger maybe 
Maybe, but um, one person had to lick their shoe. And I can tell you right now, I would not lick my shoe. Nor would I handle raw chicken. And then what were you supposed to do if you didn't wash your hands? Then what? You were just supposed to carry on with your day. Well, see, nobody would do that in their right mind right? either. Because you'd be yeah. touching everything in your home and yeah. that doesn't seem safe. So. Yeah, well... Like, I mean, safe for... Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, it's not that bad. I mean, it's not like you have norovirus all over your hand and you touch everything in your house. I mean, chicken, <laughs> you know, if it has salmonella, you need a little more salmonella to get sick than you do with norovirus. But nobody in their right mind would do that. And I always figure, as a therapist, I'm not going to ask somebody to do something that that a person in their right mind wouldn't do. You know, right? <laughs> like, right. Why would we? And I understand. I've read the I've read the books. I've read the research. They say you got to swing the pendulum way the other way so it comes back to the middle. But I don't buy it. I don't buy mm. it. Um, and I've I've been successfully treated for a metaphobia. I didn't have to do any of that stuff. So that's my you know. I know that's just a a, a research of one person, <laughs> yeah. but still. Well, I like the way that you've got your stuff laid out on the website so you can yeah. do this gradual yeah. sort of, um, work through and sort of sit with things as long as mm -hmm. you need to. Yeah. Um, so right now I'm on um, looking at people, pictures of people vomiting. <laughs> so that's right. where I'm at. Yeah, which is, which is like level six or something, you know, because on our website, it starts with just the, a few words and sentences and paragraphs and cartoons, and then yeah. pictures of nauseous people, and then pictures of people after they vomit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so there's a lot of steps or rungs yeah. on the ladder before you get exactly. to pictures of people vomiting. And then yeah. when it goes to videos, a lot of people think, oh, I dread going to videos. But actually, the way we have it set up is that the videos start almost at the beginning again. So the videos are just the, you know, the first one's a cartoon, oh, and the next one's just a car engine that oh, gotcha. throws up oil and a baby. And, you know, so they go also in gradual order, because okay. some therapists think you start with videos. And um, yeah, I had a th I'm sure I've said this too many times on my podcast, but I had a therapist once that told me the first thing I should do is to go sit in the ER, you know, where people are sick. And I was like, no, I can't do that. Like, I can't do that if someone is in the ER that I need to, or if I need to go to, I can't do that. And, and he was kind of like, well, you know, when you want to get better, then give me a call. And I was like, mm. wow, okay, that set me back a, a bit. Um, a That's few, a big leap. <laughs> right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, I know. And I think it's just a lack of understanding. It was many years ago. And yeah. There are lots and lots of therapists who are much more familiar with metaphobia now. So it, it, it is better. And if anybody listening out there has a therapist that asks them to do some weird thing, um, <laughs> just move on to the next one. Yeah. Yeah. So now you're, how long have you been working with the uh, person that seems more sensible? Um, uh, about just over a year now. Um, okay. So yeah, yeah. We, she's not an, a metaphobia specific therapist, yeah. mm -hmm. but what we've done together is to work through my, like the sort of trauma around it, the feelings right. I have around it. Yeah. And then for me to do that exposure therapy in between sessions. And then I sort of check in with her on that. Okay. 
Yeah, so you're kind of doing it on your own then. You're alone. The exposure. Yeah, yeah, at least the yeah. part, this, what I call the virtual reality part. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, because then there are probably real life things that you've been avoiding or safety behaviors you have or, or something yeah. like that, yeah. that would be the next yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Have you ever been on any medication or or yes yeah um i've definitely been on a number of different antidepressants um mm -hmm. some benzodiazepines um and m more recently i've been taking buspar mm -hmm. um that's the common yeah yeah mm -hmm. so yeah i've taken different medications and they've been helpful to varying degrees right Okay. Yeah. 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 I think yeah. it depends. Some people, I think it depends how much of the OCD type behavior you have as an emetophobic person. If you mm -hmm. have, if you're high on the OCD emetophobia scale, and everyone with emetophobia has OCD to some extent, um, if you're pretty high up, then medication can be really helpful. Um, especially if you're if you're having panic attacks every day, people, you know, or or, or a few times a week, and you're not on medication, really consider it because it will yeah. really help that. Um, will it fix your metaphobia? No, it won't. But, you know, it, you don't have to be on it forever. You can be on it for a time and it can be helpful. So, yeah. Anna, you have been a wonderful guest uh, with an incredible story that I think a lot of people can relate to where you, you did not have horrible, abusive trauma or trauma in your background. Uh, but it was it was traumatic enough for you, you know. And then mm -hmm. when mummy's not there, if if you're very close to mummy, it is really scary for a child of six or even ten. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing your story as well as your courageous acts that you have done. Um, I, I, you're very inspirational, and and also your story of how you're working. Um, to recovery. Thank you.